acting completely demented? Yes. Are the wigs reprehensible? Absolutely. But was I reminded of the immeasurable power of cinema when Belial rose up from the toilet like Christ from his tomb? I think its profound impact speaks for itself. This month on The Girls Who Cried Be Horror, we are covering Basket Case. The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode. Uh, as always, I am Anya. Hi guys, I'm Alex, and today we are joined by a very special guest, the co-host of our sister podcast, Dearly Departed. Roberto is here. Uh, back by popular demand. I they were clamoring, girl. <laughs> Breaking the window for you to come back. Um, yeah, Roberto, if you don't know, has been on our podcast twice before, but never on a main episode. He was on our season one end of the season special, which was us going through the entire Saw franchise. Incredible. And then he came back at the start of season two to talk about Spiral, which is our first movie back in theaters when they reopened. And you know what? Thanks to your podcast, um, my letterboxed end of year, you know, just... <laughs> yeah, I forgot it this. It was really special. So was mine. It was Did really... You have... We both had... Um, Tobin Bell? Yeah. Tobin Most watched Bell, actor of 2021. I died. Fucking king. Oh, so funny. Mine Throwing was uh, Burt Reynolds, Kramer. and it said I watched like 36 Burt Reynolds films. And that's not having... Mental illness and really horny, you know, thoughts all the time. Yeah, that checks out 100%. Look, it was a hard year. It was a hard year for many reasons. And you did what you had to do. I would love to be like, yeah, guys, it was all because of the pandemic. But this is who I've always been. (laughs) Nothing has changed. (laughs) Um, Right, right. Yeah, so welcome, everyone. Of course, Roberto. He is an honorary girl who cried before. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. Don't blow it. (laughs) Um, well i'm really excited to hear um your scream mini-sode i got to hear a little bit through through walls so i'm excited to see if you know don't spoil anything takes are right (laughs) i mean our takes are always right especially about scream but yeah we'll see but anyways beyond all that oh my god before we get in basket case we've been just rambling for a second here i had a thought today Mm -hmm. Unrelated to basket case. Sorry, y'all. But I literally needed to share it with somebody because it was, like, making me furious when I walk home. Mm. Obviously, y'all know I love Baby Yoda. And I watched Mm. all of The Mandalorian. Alex already wants to put a gun in my fucking mouth. (laughs) Um, But something I thought about, like, I realized, and I was like, unless I miss something, nobody ever gives Baby Yoda a kiss. Like, never. They, like, are sweet to him or mean to him. But, like... Right. Why does no one ever give him a little smooch? What if he doesn't want a little smooch? They respect him, you know. I'm not saying, like, kiss the baby on the lips. I'm, like, on top of the little wrinkly lima bean head. Like, there you go. Well, doesn't the Mandalorian always have a helmet on? Valid. Yes, but there are other people that love Baby Yoda and touch Baby Yoda that don't wear helmets and could easily give him a little smooch smooch. And also, spoiler, at the end of season two, he takes the helmet off and says goodbye to Baby Yoda, and he doesn't even give him a smoochy then. (sighs) Well, you know what? Maybe the thought is if Pedro can't kiss him, no one can. Fuck. You should write to Disney. Episode 4 in season 3, please kiss Baby Yoda. Anyways, <laughs> on to what we're here for, which is... Thank you for really taking us on that detour. I feel <laughs> like I'm better for it. Because you are. Um, anyways. That's what I said. That's what, okay, girl. I, that's what I'm out here doing, saving lives. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, this month, 
on the girls of creepy horror we are talking about um do you know i'm gonna fucking botch this goddamn i knew i was like god help her trying to say this man's name (laughs) frank Henenlotter. yeah you got it basket case i got it i got it um he, she can read in case anyone's wondering. I'm literate. Um, there, Frank Henlotter has um, a handful of iconic B-horror movies, um, mm-hmm. including uh, Frankenhooker, Brain Damage, Basket Case 2, Basket Case 3. Mm-hmm. Um, but for today... Frankenhooker, <laughs> Chef's Kiss. Just for the uh, name for, alone. For today, we will be talking about Basket Case. Um, came out in 1982. Um, this was nobody's first time watching, Correct. Correct. Like recently? The first time I saw it was with you. It was with me, but when we watched it for the pod, it was not our first time. Correct. And before we get into uh, the background, actually, if anyone is looking to watch this movie, which I highly recommend, it is available a few places. It's available on Shudder, as per usual. It's available on Tubi with ads. It's also available for people feeling a tiny bit more bougie on Canopy and on Arrow. Um, So readily available for you folks to digest um Alex what's your experience with watching this well I had never heard of basket case until I can't remember if it was 2021 or 2020 you know the pandemic is just one fucking blur but there was a period of time where I I think I might have brought this up on the pod before but I watched like one of those like fucking sci-fi channel countdowns of the greatest oh, so fucking good <laughs> yeah. maybe like, literally people don't talk about sci-fi enough it was either sci-fi or like spike tv it was one of those where it was like the 50 greatest horror movies you've never seen and to be fair right. there were a lot of them that i hadn't seen <laughs> and number 50 was basket case and so i wrote up a little list and that was the first one i started with and you know didn't know what i was getting into was not prepared for what i got but i had a really fun time with it and i think i i mean i know i sent anya the list as well and I think that might also be why you watched it but I had a good time I enjoyed it I think more on a second viewing um but I feel like for me Basket Case is like the b-horror movie because it has like a very low budget fun practical effects acting and oh like it's acting just campy with a a, girl. Yeah. it is campy as fuck and it's just like it checks off all the boxes for me, so it's a really fun time. I like it a lot. I have a good time. Can we just, like, take a moment to really thank Spike TV, Sci-Fi TV. Like, me and Anya are always referencing, you know, those movies that were always on FX. And it's mm-hmm. just, like... They fucking form me as a the kids FX these has days, the movies. The kids these days yeah, don't they ever do. get it. There was a few nights ago where I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to treat myself tonight. I'm like... I'm just going to sit down and I'm just going to watch TV. And when I tell you, I opened every single app, looked through every single tab, and it was like, I can't make a decision and I don't want to. And I shouldn't have to. I should be able to turn on TV, flip between three (laughs) channels, decide if I want to watch, you know, Gator Boys, uh, America's Next Top Model, uh, you know, Marathon, or an FX or Spike TV, you know, uh, edited for TV movie. And... I feel lost. I feel lost in this new streaming era. I don't like it. Um, as someone who loves media, it's just, it's really hard for me. Life was a lot easier when you had, like, seven channels that you just rotated through Literally. all day long. I mean, Roberto, as girls that grew up with Fearnet. Oh, my God. 
You don't, know. do you even know about Fear Night, girl? I don't know oh about my god, Fear. your life would have been changed. Oh my god, Fear Night was literally a channel all it played was horror movies. God. Like, we've talked about it before. The culture has died. Girl, I know. I mean, I just told you the other day, I picked up a copy of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the fucking backbone of the Mm. FX network. I bet those (laughs) special features, I bet those DVD special features are fucking juicy. Girl, Goodwill did me good with that one. I saw, I was like, there's no fucking way I'm leaving this shit here for $2. (laughs) This shit's gonna improve my life so much for just two bucks. Um... Yeah, but, I mean, rip cable, honestly, unfortunately. But, yeah, Roberto, as he had said prior, the first time we watched this, we watched it with another honorary girl who cried before, Miss Cornelia. Um, and I don't remember why we picked it, but we picked it. Well, and it was the, three, the of us- three of us, I think, we wanted to watch a new movie. And, you know, between, oh, between three seen, people yeah. who watched a lot of movies, I think we had, like, settled on... Let's watch that. It was it was during October. I'm pretty sure. So we were probably but not this past October. No, it was the year before. And as as people know, Anya doesn't watch non horror movies in October. So you know, we just we went to Shudder. What were what were our options? And I think Cornelia probably pointed it out. But I remember, like 2018, my diva, my goddess, my friend Miss Kelly Moon. She had showed me a clip from Basket Case, and it was the clip of the veterinarian lady for death and I felt right you know like (laughs) I it felt like I was getting a sneak peek into something that would be really important to me one day and now it is um but I, I I that was the first time I heard about it and then you know last year in October when when Shutter really well not last year girl because we're in 2022 now two years ago I know are you sure yeah, girl, life is meaningless. Time is fake. <laughs> like my I believe you. Um, but yeah, the, what I remember mostly from our experience was like all just like that communal thing of like watching it together. We got McDonald's. I remember that mm. because I was eating chicken nuggets during a pivotal scene, which we will discuss more, in which Belial is wrecking a hotel room. Mm-hmm. And I literally was chewing a chicken nugget and I laughed. I started laughing so fucking hard that my ass fell off the couch and I almost choked on it. And I was like, that's how I want to die. Like, that's if I went out right now, I would have gone out on top. I would have gone out happy and fulfilled. Um, Was it the same year that we watched Bay of Blood? Because I feel like it was, so we were, I think we were like searching for a high. You know, we were like, we need something (laughs) new. We need to feel like we're levitating. I need to feel that rush again. (laughs) (laughs) Of me explaining the plot to a movie that I barely understood four times. Oh, lordy. Um, but, yeah, so, gauging by everybody's response, there's obviously a positive response to Basket Case. It's definitely fun. It will be fun to discuss today. Um, should we get right into some, you know, fun little behind-the-scenes tidbits that yeah, I gathered? Yeah, go for it. <clears throat> All right. Thrill us. There is a good amount on Basket Case because it is such a huge kind of cult following now. But I did narrow it down to a handful. Do people um, know what this movie is about? See. Oh, well, Alex, that's okay, so sure. true. I can do that. Synops. It's. I feel like it's hard to discuss the plot of this film without kind of just starting with the spoiler because mm-hmm. it gets a little convoluted, so <laughs> spoilers ahead. Um, this movie follows a young man named Dwayne who goes to New York City. He rents a motel room all by himself with his big old wicker picnic basket that he carries around everywhere. Um, and... Before long, you find out that what is in this basket 
is his deformed twin, who his Siamese twin, who is like very small and honestly just looks like a bunch of muscles. Um, he's great looking. I love him. Um, and when they were, I guess both of them were teens, they had a surgery to remove them against their will. And his parents and the doctors thought that Belial, who was his twin, was killed. So they threw him in the trash, but he took him back and has kept him with him. And now they're on a hunt to find the doctors who separated them so they can get their fucking revenge. But along the way, Dwayne discovers romance and independence, and Belial does not like that. It's literally so, a tale of this time. It really is. I'm always saying it's that, biblical. girl. It's biblical. Yeah, that's basket case in a nutshell, or in a basket case. What is that fucking Bible story? Like, um, Cain and Abel? Yeah. That's, that's not like this, no. but we can pretend. <laughs> but that, that's brothers. Brothers. It's brothers. Yeah. That's literally was the point, girl. Oh. <laughs> you think I'm fucking like really versed on these Bible stories? Yeah, I said, brothers, that matches for me. You said it was it. biblical. <laughs> uh, do you think in the remake we can get Mark and Donnie? Oh, God. Which one's Belial? <laughs> Um, Have you guys seen fucking Dreamcatcher? It's Donnie. (laughs) Donnie is playing Belial. He will beg for the part. Um, Anyways, Lord have mercy on us. Um, Now that you guys know what you're getting the fuck into, let's get into some fun behind the scenes. Um, First and foremost, writer-director Frank Henenlotter said that he was emboldened to make this movie because he believed no one would ever see it. (laughs) um and he has he claims that he is now quote horrified that it has become a success which i feel like more people should make movies that way me too yeah that's the dream it's just like no one's ever gonna fucking say it i can do what i want it's like i feel like when you make like the tiktok maybe where you're like maybe saying shit you could have kept to yourself and then it goes viral and you're like nobody was supposed to see this (laughs) um so you know really starting off on a great foot with that one um in, you know, the spirit of B-Horror being a very low-budget film, this was very much a low-budget film. Um, so the scene when our lead character, Dwayne, checks into the hotel and he takes out, like, a huge wad of cash, director Henletter said once again that that money was the entire budget of the film. <laughs> cool. Um, the budget was so low that they literally had to go dumpster diving for, like, discarded furniture and, like, plumbing to, like, dress the sets. Um, I think that adds to it, though. I feel like a, a big part of the the setting in the film is, like, kind of the dingy motel room. So I think taking shit from, like, the streets and the dumpsters just kind of adds to the, like, gritty New York feel. I like it. Yeah. I mean... But honestly, that motel room, like, didn't look as nasty as it should have. You know what I mean? I feel like in movies, people are always checking into, like, dirty motel rooms, and it's, like, it's just kind of low-lit, but it's like, no, I need to see, like, the stained beds. You know, I need to see the mold. The dead body. Take a black light to that uh, bitch. Exactly. Where, like, stained carpeting. Like, you know, where's the verisimilitude? Well, <laughs> from what I remember reading, the actual room they used was, like, I think in, like, a friend's apartment. And I can tell. It was so too it nice. was, yeah, it was glamorous. Um, <laughs> it was not actually a hotel. Um... Another iconic part of this movie that I brought up in the opening is, in particular, one particular character, um, Sharon, who is the receptionist, her wig, which, you know, you know she's wearing a wig. It's 
it's a wig, all It's right. the worst wig I think I've ever seen. And you, you question, I think, like, the whole time. You're like, what was the choice? Like, why did she have... Like, truly, you're like, what reason? And I know why. Um, because apparently she was bald at the time. Then let her be bald. Who cares? Girl, you're treated as a choir, girl. I know. I truly believed the entire movie that underneath her blonde wig was a, a blonde hair. A blonde <laughs> hair. Like, I thought it was just, like, an aesthetic choice. I love that. Um, but also, the doctor lady also wears a wig. Which doctor lady? Oh, the only doctor lady. Yeah, though. but she hers is not as egregious, I don't think. It's bad, but, like, no one is topping right. Sharon's, you know, blonde I can't wig. believe she probably looked so fucking cool without hair. I didn't see why she was bald. I hope, obviously, it wasn't for reasons like mm, chemotherapy. Right. But but don't you love that in casting, they were like, we don't care, girl. We'll throw a wig on it. Whatever. You are so fierce. You are so powerful. Your acting technique is so revolutionary that you need to be in this I mean, when I watched her on the screen, it was like looking in the mirror. I was like, one <laughs> one talented bald queen to another. <laughs> um. Anyways. But I guess it's also like, if they were this low budget, do you think... The, like, could it have also been which actresses are willing to give us boobs on screen? You know, which, who's, who's willing Beyond to boobs on screen, because that will move me into my next fun fact, is more so the scene that she dies in, which is right. easily the most controversial scene in the movie. It's the only scene for me where I'm like, now that this movie is like loving or whatever, like it's fucking sick and weird. But like, this is the scene where I was like, no. Yeah. Oh Why did we have to do that? Yeah. We'll get to it. But we, I don't think, feel alone on that because I read that during the shooting of the scene, um, the crew became so offended that they walked out of the production. Um, apparently something like this happened again during his next film, Brain Damage. I don't know what scene that was. I um, feel like I do know what scene it is. And actually, I, I do too. I love that kill. I don't give a shit. I'm going to tell oh, girl. <laughs> I love we'll it. talk about it when the time comes. Um, but yeah, so clearly, even at the time of making it, it isn't something where it's like, mm, that aged poorly. It was like, no. From the jump, everyone was like, mm, do we have to do all that? But would it? But also, like, isn't that in a fucked up way part of, like, this movie's charm? Like, you know, like, in a B-horror, like, something fucked up has to happen. You kind of just have to, like, I feel like... It's part of the DNA. Um, yes and no, because I mean, if you took that out, I think the movie still stands on the B-Horn yes, leg that 100%. it has. I think the issue is more so that like too often in general in real life, also too often in film and too often in horror, it's violence against women. And it's one of those things that we've talked totally. about several times in the podcast where it's like, you know, I, not that I will not watch that. Because I know that, like, at the end of the day, it's fake. And if it's done tastefully and with care, that's fine. And I know, as Alex says, when she talks about, you know, killing fucking kids, like, it's shit that does happen in real life. So you can show it. Like, <laughs> like it does. I'm like, we don't have to pretend that we live in a fantasy world, especially in a movie where you can do whatever you want, that, like, kids never die. Right. But something like this, like, a specific scene like this, it does feel, like, fully, like, the shock value because we'll talk about it, but, like, it also, like, logistically totally. it doesn't even make sense what's happening. I don't think I have as much no. of an issue with it as you do, but I'm excited to talk about it and mm-hmm. see. I think, I feel like the three of us will all have, like, slightly different opinions. Mm-hmm. I think the point of it, I, I get the point. I don't think any opinion no, no, no. is wrong. Unless you think that, like. Yeah. That, that should that have rocks. been the whole film. <laughs> uh, You're like, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I well, think that there's a well, purpose to it. I just don't, I still think it's gross, but I think that. 
it says We will table that discussion when we get to it so we can get the rest of these facts out. Um, Only a few more. Um, A character that I feel like we will definitely talk about because I feel like we probably all stan is the role of Casey the sex Mm -hmm. worker. Um, Mm. She was originally a much smaller role. Um, Actress's name was uh, Beverly Bonner. And after uh, Frank Henenlotter saw her performance as the character, he expanded her character into this, like, secondary lead role, almost. Um, And then since she's been in this movie, apparently, and I'm sure it's true, I just, like, don't know off the top of my head, she's appeared in all of his films. Oh, that's fun. Which is awesome. She literally has stage presence. Like, she has Mm -hmm. the it factor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then to further how iconic this character is... In 2015, which was 30 years after the film's release, Beverly Bonner, who plays Casey, um, starred in a stage production called Casey Dash 30 Years Later with a screening of Basket Case before the show. So apparently she did a one-woman show, maybe, about like her character after what happened. I would love to see that. Um, Bring it back. Let's go. And then the only thing I have left for y'all as a little fun fact is... um, the Belial puppet, because for a good amount of it, it's a puppet. And for a good amount of it, it's not even the full puppet. It's like the puppet hands. Mm-hmm. Um, was performed by the producer's eight-year-old daughter. Shut the fuck up. After the puppet shrank down to be too tight for adult hands. Iconic. Wow. And it is to be said that Belial does be touching some titties in these hands. Imagine having that fun fact. Yeah. That you were the hands of Belial. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can tell me anything. I'm so fucking cool. Wow. Damn. You literally are God's favorite at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's all I have for you guys. So I guess let's jump right into uh, talking about a film that is in the collection of the Museum of Modern Art. It is literally at the moment. As it should be. Yeah, where it belongs. Um, <clears throat> does anybody have anything they want to jump off with? Any facts of the movie? My first note that I wrote... Mm-hmm. So I was taking, you know, really um, intelligent, really thoughtful notes during our uh-huh. viewing is um, font dash hot. <laughs> to which, what font? The opening titles? Nice. Yeah, I thought the opening title was really hot. I thought it was a really tasteful color mm-hmm. red. You know, I feel like it wasn't um, a fire truck red that would have been expected. I thought it had a nice hue to it. <laughs> Um, and uh, literally when we were watching the opening, I was like, wait, is this like something about the cinematography in that opening sequence? I was like, okay, but dadass, MoMA, (laughs) like there was, (laughs) there was just something really gorgeous about the way the camera moved. And again, the, the, the red, I fucking love opening credits. Yeah. Every time you watch a movie and the opening credits hit. Him and or Abby will be like, oh my god, those credits hit. That opening title hit. <laughs> Sorry that I love... You love cinema. <laughs> Sorry that I love typography. Is that what it is? Yeah, right? You're asking the I wrong bitch. Empty-headed up you here. Yeah. Let's, wait, let's Google. Hold on. Well, as you're Googling that, um, what you're saying with the MoMA, it's kind of strangely true. Because throughout the movie, there are these moments where I'm like, yeah, like... The weird, which once again, we'll get to, like, the stop motion choices at certain points. Like, yes, it's so fucking silly. Like, the, I forgot about it on this rewatch, and it happened again. And I was like, not this. Not the fucking stop motion. But there was part of it that was like, that's commendable. Like, that they're using so yeah. many different facets to get the fucking story told and get the movie done. 
however it's going to work. And we don't, we don't have a puppet that we can move this way and make, you know, destroy a room. So we have to do it with stop motion to get the full thing. Yeah, that's fucking epic. I say get rid of CGI and only do stop motion. I agree. Moving 3, forward. The thing is that I, like, I guess in my head, I believe that most people would see, you know, in that opening when you see, you know, the, the three finger claw that's clearly like a rubber hand. Mm-hmm. Some people would be like, oh, this is stupid. I'm turning it off. But for me, and I know that for both of you, it's a moment where you say, mm-hmm. yes, I'm open to this experience. Give me I more. I am leaning in. Yeah. Give me more. Absolutely. And another thing I love in that opening scene, I love in movies when someone shoots at a shadow. <laughs> you know uh-huh. what I mean? Where they like, there's just a shadow and they're shooting at it as if... If they hit the shadow, they, the person will also as die. As if they don't understand how light works. Um. Yeah, I mean, the hand in that opening, I mean, the opening scene, it just kind of like sets the tone for the whole thing immediately because I literally wrote it. My first note beyond the MoMA thing because that's like in the opening titles is that it's preserved by like the MoMA or whatever. And I was like, shut the fuck up. Um, is that this movie is in a silly, goofy mood. And, like, that's kind of what it is. Where kind of what you're saying, like, other people will, will see that and be like, this is garbage. This is dumb. Not me, girl. I'm just like, so this movie is here to have a good, fun time is what I'm seeing. And I think in a way that works overall, like, genuinely, is that, like, you see it isn't a movie that, like, plays serious in the opening scene and then it turns into some, like, crazy campy shit, which can still work. It, like, from the jump is, like, this... We see the fucking lump shadow of Belial on the wall. Like, you know exactly what you're gonna get for the next whatever the fuck 90 minutes or so. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that they're upfront about it, and they keep that fucking tone the entire time. Mm-hmm. But I think something overall, because obviously after the opening, we kind of go directly into um, them being in New York City. Um, mm. is It's something about movies of this era where, like, they really do not make me movies that make New York City, like, look this way anymore. Like, you either have, I like, know. highly romanticized, like, rom-coms in New York City where you're like, I'm sorry, what New York City are y'all living in? Like, where are the rats? Um, this is not real. Or, like, even when they're trying to do, like, gritty and grungy, like, if you think of something, I guess, like, Joker-esque, which I try not to think about, honestly, um, it just doesn't capture it in this way. Where you're like, wow, well, it, it, New York City it's, was a cesspool. Yeah, but it's, like, it's a cesspool that I want to be a part of. Like, it's nasty and filthy, but I want to be there. And what I noted when they got to New York, and what I noticed then throughout the film, is part of it is, again, the the revolutionary acting technique. Mm. Um, But it's that every scene in between kills feels like a porn movie. Yeah, that's what I mean. when when he, yeah, like, he gets to New York and he's strutting and it's, like, Okay, so uh, the next obvious thing is he's going to go to his seedy motel room and probably jerk off, and then he's going to go to the Pussycat Strip Club, and there's going to be a foul orgy, and then, you know, there's a porn theater. There has to be a porn theater somewhere nearby, so in my bisexual fantasy, he's getting it on with a guy. But instead, in this movie, every time sex would happen in the porn, it's just Belial killing someone. And for some people, that is porn, I, I think. You know what? Yeah. You're so right. And what I think about the acting is that it's like, it's like the, the, there's someone off screen beating them alive oh, yeah. for the first time <laughs> and then they deliver it. But there's something so magical about that. There's something like, I can see Casey like hearing it and then being like, 
y'all don't fucking know what I'm going to do with this. I'm about to y'all don't even break. know. <laughs> y'all don't fucking know. Well, Casey's um, easily the best actress, I think, of the... 3,000% Of yes. all of them. Because everybody reads their lines like they're not in the same room as each other and it's incredible. Yeah. But Casey has that presence where like, I believe every, sing- every single word that she's saying, the stakes are high. She is the moment. Casey has seen a movie before. Yes. No one else yeah. has. <laughs> well, it's, the acting is, like, such a huge component of, like, what yeah. makes this film so campy. So, of course, I'm taking so many notes on it. And I was like, okay, the acting feels like, at first I was like, the acting feels like everyone's just trying, like, so fucking hard to get the line out and not look at the camera. Like, that they're like, <laughs> like, I was just like, it's like, insane the line and don't look. Like, and then I was like, it's kind of giving, like, bad community theater performances, but something that I kind of feel like I already, like, knew, but it clicked for me when Roberta was talking about the movie looking like a porno, and then just now, so we talk about Casey, is it, the line delivery is porno-esque, I feel like. Like, that old school, like, you know, what is like, become, like, a meme of, like, what pornos were, of, like, the pizza guy showing up at the door and, like, deli- like, it's just, like, get the line out so we can get to the room and, like, fuck. Where it's, like... Yeah yeah I, I brought you this pizza I hope you like so- like it's just like that's the level but what's crazy is that the only sex worker like well that's not true at the end there's a few but like the only sex worker in the movie that is a character is the only one that's delivering any lines with any like personality everybody else is just like I have to get this line out so we can go blow each other in the back or like some shit like that's how it feels and it's it's a fascinating technique really well, it's also reminiscent of like daytime TV acting mm. where it, it exists like in this <clears throat> vacuum where like normal people can't do this, right? Like, it, it, and that, and I say that to mean like, if you take like a random person off the street and have them read a line, like me, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be stiff and it's going to be wooden, but it's also not like they're, tr- they're like, they went to Juilliard and have done like years upon years of trained acting. It's this weird like space where, like you said, they've done community theater and they, they probably, they're like, I am an actor and I believe it. I believe that the way that, that Casey delivers her lines, no one else could do it the way she can. I believe her in the realm of this movie. And I think that that like speaks to the direction where I feel like everyone is operating on that wavelength. That's like, again, a, a, notch, a, a notch above porn, a notch below daytime TV, but perfectly just like perfectly delicious and special and... I'm a fan. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that this movie would really work at all for me if the acting was good. Like, the bar scene that I'm sure we'll discuss, which is the, like, greatest scene in the film because it's some of the... It's, like, it's very aunt and sleepaway camp-esque, and... It's so funny you brought up sleepaway camp. Keep going. Well, because, like, I don't want to compare it to Susan Tyrell's performance in Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, because I think that's, like, a genuinely incredible performance. <clears throat> Whereas, like, yes. the aunt in Sleepaway Camp is doing the thing where she's acting. And I think everybody does that here. But if they didn't, it would just, I would just be kind of bored. I love the line delivery. Every single line in this film. It's, everyone has made the wrong decision. And I'm thrilled. <laughs> And you know, some people would watch it and be like, oh, this is just bad. But it's like, they're not taking the time to really see the nuance Mm -hmm. in it, you know? It's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's good because it's 
there's just some, there's a really special sauce in it that mm-hmm. almost can't be fully verbalized. Well, you know, two things I wanted to say, mm-hmm. both brought up just now. One sleepaway camp thing, I literally had a fucking note that said, like, sleepaway camp vibes. And I think it came later when we finally get the full flashback of, like, what happened yeah. with the removal of Belial when they were kids. Because similarly, like, we get flashbacks in sleepaway camp to them. I mean, they're kids the whole time, but, like, pre, you know, dad's dying or whatever the fuck. Um, and yeah, that's perfect. You honestly just nailed it. Like this whole time we're trying to be like, what's the acting like? It's sleepaway camp. It's the sleepaway camp school of acting. I don't know which one came first. Sorry, folks. So it's either the Basket Case school of acting that sleepaway camp stole or sleepaway camp school of acting that Basket Case stole. Either way, I'm fucking here for it. Give me more of these. Um, but I just think it's so funny that you brought that up because yeah, major sleepaway camp vibes. And I think even in the sense of like kind of flashing back to like this childhood trauma that then turned somebody or something into this like monster obviously in sleepaway camp it is angela Mm -hmm. and here it is belial um but roberta what were you just saying before i cut in because there was something you brought up that i was going to talk about it's after sleepaway camp Um, he said that people just think it's bad and (gasps) yes oh my god thank you Mm -hmm. um Thank God you're here because, you know, I can't remember a fucking thing past two seconds. Um, when I was home over the holidays, I was visiting um, friends of the pod, uh, Ray and Rebecca, Ray's, who did our artwork, love mm-hmm. them. Um, and we were talking about horror movies, all this shit. And they were saying something about how, and it was so true where it's like, there are quote unquote bad movies that like are good because they're bad. Like, but then there are bad movies that are like, this is just bad. Like, it's not even fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care if it's campy or silly or dumb or if it's only, you know, 80 minutes. It's like, you still have to bring something. And I feel like it's like what people, the girls that get it, get it, and the girls that don't, don't. Like, well, this is what I always think about is like when people just like disregard a movie as bad. There are like, they're just like boring, kind of mediocre, bland, forgettable movies, right? Yeah. And then there are movies that people may think of as bad, like Basket Case, even though it's in the moment. Like Serenity? Or even take, like, uh, sure, Serenity. Serenity. Or, or take, you know, like, a Lifetime movie, right? And what I what I wish, what, what I sometimes struggle to verbalize to those people is, like, you think it's bad because you think shit was thrown together, right? Like, you think a writer sat down, threw things on a page, in two days or whatever, gave it to someone who barely read the script, cast some actor, right? Whereas I watch those movies and I see that every single decision was intentional, right? Like someone meant for it to look sound and present this way. A really good Lifetime movie hits because they know that the people come for a batshit crazy kind of almost wooden-esque performance under harsh fluorescence. Mm. Like, that's what the people want. And I feel like so much of B-horror is like that to me, where, like, people are like, oh, that's a bad movie. Like, it's stupid. Where it's like, no, baby. No, this man chose that wig. (laughs) Chose that wig and said yes. He said that's in the budget. He said, get that eight-year-old girl. Shove her hand through that puppet. Let's go. Literally. Like... And, and 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 that's why I love it. That's the magic. And I think, yeah, it's hard to explain to people that, as I said, don't get it. Because it even comes back to, like, okay, pick a movie that's, like, super fucking campy and, like, batshit crazy or whatever. 
but the difference is like if it's if it works it works like i don't even know how to put it into words it's just like because then i think sometimes people interpret it because there are people that are like this i'm not trying to be shady to anybody but it's just like where they're like oh i love this movie but like they love it to like like bad things like i don't know how to describe it like i don't know if you guys they like it like as a joke, right? Like they like sort to be of. able to and say like, like, I like this movie. And they'll never like give in, on, like give up on the bit. Like they're just like, no, like it's like the best thing ever. And it's like, there are legitimately movies that like I know are regarded as garbage. That, like if I'm, even if I'm doing it with a smile, like I'm like, no, I like that movie. Like I think that like, yes, there's bad shit in it that I think is funny or whatever, but like it still has like an oomph factor of some sort. Like it's bringing something. Whether that be like having these like, really like what what the fuck kills if we're talking specifically about horror or whatever and that's why i feel like there is a difference and people don't that maybe just aren't even immersed in the horror realm as it is like don't fully understand because this because horror is a ripe you know picking ground for shit like this mm-hmm. um where it is just like that off kilter out of fucking left field bizarro will like fucking haunt your dreams for months type shit where it's like yeah sure it's not you know I don't fucking know, like, some Martin Scorsese film, but, like, it's fucking hitting. And you can say that about, like, reality TV. You can say that, like, again, like, these things that people really disregard, but it's, like, no, but you don't get it. Like, this is genius. Yeah. This is intelligent. I think Mm -hmm. it all just comes down to, like, people's taste level and, you know, how... And having none. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. I feel like the more, like, the more you're exposed to different kinds of genres, different things within the genre, I feel like your mind and your taste can expand and you can kind of recognize when things are being campy and stupid in a fun way and things are being campy and stupid and just not hitting. And I think it's hard for me to kind of explain it verbally, but like when I see it, I know. And -hmm. it's just kind of like a vibe I get. I'm just like, yeah, this fucking works for me because I've had so much experience seeing all kinds of like trash and, you know, genius art that I feel like you know, it just comes with experience, and we're just so experienced. I would say, and with that, everyone, the after franchise is now. No, still on we're not fucking plugging that garbage and none of that. Wait, the first, the first two movies, come on now, genius. No, I literally will not give you that. Anyways, I was gonna say, going off what you just said, mm-hmm. is, yeah, it's kind of this like acquired sixth sense where it is just like you won't ever be able to fully verbalize it. I feel like where mm-hmm. it is just that like when I watch it. I'll be able to tell you, for me, yes or no. Yeah. And sometimes you can't even tell somebody, like, why is it a yes? Why is it a no? You're just like, this is what my soul is telling me. And best case is a yes. Um, But to veer off of this, somebody that we brought up several times that I feel like we have to give her full shine is Casey. She is an incredible character, so I feel like we should take a moment to really talk about her because um, she is a sex worker and... You know, typically, I think in movies in general, unfortunately, um, mind you, she is a black woman. So she's a black sex worker where, like, I feel like normally if that gets portrayed, it is just like this, like, she's usually mistreated. And, you know. What's the name of the girlfriend with the blonde wig? Uh, that is uh, Sh- Sharon, I think. I think it's Sharon. Yeah, yeah it is Sharon. Um, Continue. But she is given and as i read like obviously it was supposed to originally be this like small role but she fucking brought it and got this bigger role so truly the credit is to her i'm not going to fully give it to uh frank hennenlauter but yeah she's just an icon and like she's just like a, a, a great character because from the moment of meeting her she's so kind like she's such yeah. a kind like 
nice person that is well-rounded like from the get she's like looking out for this stranger this like weirdo that's carrying around a fucking wicker basket and even when we get to like the scene when she meets him in the bar like even then like they don't make her to be this like sex object to him at all like there's never really from what I recall like any like moment of like oh he's into her or she's into him or they're just gonna fuck like never they are fully just like besties she doesn't judge him at all for having this bath she's just like such a kind-hearted woman and I feel like we don't get a lot of representation like that for sex workers especially sex workers of color in film or media or whatever so it was it's a surprising thing to just find in basket case but I love it I'm so appreciative of it yeah yeah there's you go ahead go no, you go I don't really have anything to, I was just gonna ramble you go yeah there's just like a warmth and she, she is just like truly effervescent I think that Again, like, this hotel is foul, Mm -hmm. even though it's not foul enough for me, you know? And, yeah, you just think about what what someone in her position, like, must have experienced IRL in, you know, 1980s New York. And there was just, like, a really strong warmth to her. She's the person you root for, right? Like, Dwayne is there. I I don't dislike Dwayne. I don't root for Dwayne. Dwayne is there. Sharon, hilarious, right? Mm-hmm. But 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 there's um but but her choices are so kind of bizarre and funny, and you're like, why is she obsessed with Dwayne? Why does um, she get so that, mad that, that he hasn't gone to the tourist parts of New York? Right. So then when Casey comes in and it's just kind of like normal and vibing, mm-hmm. you're like, wait, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Hey, girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, I feel like all of the characters are sleazy and you know, fucked up in their own way. I mean, all these doctors that they're going to find, like, made, like, an immoral, illegal fucking surgery for money. They're Mm -hmm. not good people. Uh, There's, like, a drunk guy who gets killed pretty quick in the movie who is also just, like, you know, a thief. He's kind of sketchy. The guy who runs the motel is, for the most part, okay, but he, you know, he has some stuff, too. But, like, then you have Casey, who is nothing but just, like, pure light and joy, like, she sees yeah. him at the bar, and she just goes right up to him and is like, do you want to come drink with me? Like, let's go hang out. Just so opening and welcoming. I love and it. And the best part is, is that she doesn't die. No, she doesn't. Because mm-hmm. you expect, even in a horror movie, take the sex work or I anything I feel like in my, I, when we were watching it the second time, I was like, oh, no, she's going to die. Like, I forgot <clears> that she gets to live. But it's just, but it's like, one, because in general, when there's a character you like, you root for them. You want them to live. So that in general, like, you know, yay, happy she lives. But I think, like, also contextually, like, once again, like, a lot of times when there are sex workers in any sort of media, they're, like, the body at the beginning of a fucking CSI episode. Like, they die. So already when she's given this, like, more fleshed out character and she's lasting pretty long, then that scene when they come up from the bar and they're, like, she brings him home, he's drunk, and she's, like, I want to see what's in the basket. Just one, just one time. Like, she's not going to take it and she wants to see. You're like, girl, don't do it. Fuck, don't do it, don't do it. Get out. Like, she's going to die. And she does it. And it's remarkable, I think, that she doesn't. That she gets to live the whole movie. Like, it isn't even like, oh, we think we're going to kill her now. It's a psycho. We're going to kill her later. Nope. She makes it the whole fucking time. She is a champion. She's a fucking final girl in my goddamn eyes. Yeah, I mean, she's the only one, really, that, like, interacts with Belial that doesn't die in the film. mm I mean, it's also just like a testament to how progressive horror can be. Yeah, even in the 80s. When, when in the 80s, a, a sex worker of color gets to live, but like in the 2000s on network TV, like all they are are corpses or yeah. 
or undeveloped characters or like, you know, like it is just, I mean, it's sad and, but also awesome on, on gospel cases. And, and I think it plays into a factor as well. That's something that's, you know, let me say that horror is not exempt from doing things wrong because there are many years to prove otherwise and things today where, you know, portrayals of people and choices that are made are not favorable. Um, But I think overall in a blanket statement, the horror community I feel like has always been more accepting and been like a safe haven for people that are considered outsiders, whether you're just like the weird kid at school that's bullied or you're a marginalized group. Like there, I've, I've read so many articles and different things over the years and like whether it be Frangoria or online or whatever, where like these people talk about like what it's meant to them because like they had nothing else. So I love that, you know, and I think something like this, like also a very low budget B horror movie where it isn't this big studio movie where unfortunately probably the same character would have died very quickly where it is just kind of like, well, we're just gonna make the movie that we want. We're gonna do what we want to do. And like, you know, where in a, in a sad, as you were saying, Roberto, it's, it's fun. It's great. But it's also like sad that that's the case that like they can do the quote unquote, like the magical thing of like letting her live and letting her be a character where it's like, that shouldn't be this like magical, like, you know, pot yeah. of gold at the end of the rainbow that we occasionally find. It should just like be norm. But you know, especially in the 80s, it was not. So when you do find something like this, you're like, oh my God, what? This hidden gem, and who would have thought it was Basket Case? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, let's see, what else? What I else think now? we would be remiss to not discuss Belial and oh. the puppet <laughs> and of all of that, because I know, I mean, that's, I think everybody's favorite bit of the film is the little scenes that we get of Belial trashing a hotel room, uh, popping up from a toilet bowl, just being a fucking maniac. The glowing red eyes. Oh, the oh eyes. my God. <laughs> is it the same red as the font in the beginning? Um, it has more of like an orange pink okay. tint to it. but They should have kept that shin consistent. That would have been great. I mean, yeah, we talk about Casey being the star I will say she is only rivaled by Puppet Belial, um, who is intended to, in a way, be the star and the villain of the story. I mean, yeah, as, as I've stated many a time, I'm a puppet lover. I love motherfucking puppets. Um, this also plays into both of our loves for practical effects. Um, so Belial is a treat. And yeah, as I said originally, from the first opening scene, when all you see is just the fucking, like, his meaty fucking mitts... Um, I was like, <laughs> yeah, whatever this is, yes. I would be really interested to to see, like, an anatomy diagram of how Belial's innards are supposed yeah. to work. Yeah. Like, where is the heart, where is the the galaxy brain that gives him his telepathic power? Um, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Does he use the bathroom? Um, how does he use the bathroom? How does he, exactly, he eats a lot. He puts those burgers away. He has like the strength of an ant, you know, that like. He can only like make he has, one like, sound and it's three uh, times his body weight. Roberto did notice that um, Belial may be keto because when he dropped him, <laughs> he left out the body. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and of course Belial's crowning scene is the hotel room scene when he is out on a date with fucking Sharon, who's her own fucking bag of fucking looniness, um, and he's pissed. 
So he's like, how dare you fucking leave me here, blah, blah, blah. Like, we got shit to do. Obviously not talking. And then gets, hops out of the basket. And this is the second where he lands on the floor. And all of a sudden, he's just stop motion. And when I, he was stop motion all of a sudden, and my fucking heart stopped. I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Um, and then, yeah, proceeds to, as you said, Alex, do your incredible Belial impression, where he's just like, Ooh, and like shaking the bed frame. I think I need to note that as he's like truly just like screaming and crying and like just like throwing shit around violently, uh, I need to note that that's kind of how it feels like when I'm on the toilet with IBS. Um, I know that anyone in my in my situation gets it like sometimes that shit will rock you to your core uh, as lyle did lyle jesus belial did to a hotel room but yeah he, he he works with so little he literally is just like a tumor uh with arms and he doesn't speak and he doesn't get as much screen time I and mean, he gets a good amount of screen time but he's not you know readily visible he's in a basket and he still steals the show Guys, okay, so the first time I saw that scene, of course, hysterical, show-stopping, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. But the second time, I don't know what was going on with me, but I was like, I, like, feel this creature's pain. Like, imagine, Aww. you know, just, like, <laughs> like I love it. he's, he's just, like, he doesn't know deformed. better. Well, he, well, he, exact. he doesn't seem to be able to, like, communicate with the outside world. He's obviously visually, like striking to look at but he's really strong and he loves his brother and he'll never be able to just like find love like Sharon except for maybe the third one I don't know I don't know how the second you or third one you could love Belial Roberto it's I true. do kind of agree that if he is a little bit a neck tattoo and Roberto will go all in he loves baldies I do love a baldy well it's this <laughs> thing of like so like the Planet of the Ape movie is right I, I always cry during that <laughs> Are you crying right now? <laughs> Thinking about it? I imagine if I was, I'm just like really overwhelmed talking about Belial. But it's it's this thing of like, if just everyone made like a slightly different choice and like if people just like treated Belial more tenderly, like, yeah, you know. If his parents If had someone got him some eye drops, because you know he doesn't blink, so his eyes must be so dry. <laughs> he doesn't blink. Um, maybe he wants veggies. Maybe no one's ever offered him a fucking veggie. Maybe... You know what? That bitch is always in a basket. Probably no vitamin D. That would definitely elevate his mood. I mean, it goes back to, like, you know, them being separated without, you know, their consent. I mean, because even if you're saying now when he's, you know, his own entity as Belial, he's got rage. Like, the whole point of the movie is they want to kill these doctors that did this to them. So even if everybody was sunshine and roses to Belial, I think that would still be festering under the surface. And it would, even if he was like, they were like, Belial, don't worry about it, like, you're your own person now. We love you. You're so cool, bestie. I think that would come back around at some point. Like, that that vengeful feeling of, like, these people still wronged me. And, like, I have to kill them. So, like, it's obviously pushed, I think, further by the fact that, like, he is, you know, this horrible secret in a basket. And, like, he doesn't get to live any sort of a life. That he's like, well, now I definitely am going to kill these fucking doctors. But I think on Horsier Berto, even if... You know, he was treated with the kindness that I know only like, you could give him. Um, like, imagine him just, like, running through the fields. He doesn't have legs. You know, he at day, Well, he has arms. He, he moves. So drag himself through a field. Well, he, I think he walks with his arms. Like an ape? I think yeah. so. I mean, what else is he Again, I need, I need an anatomy, like, diagram. That's, that's what's really missing. I hope that, that one pops up in the sequel. 
Yeah, I also like to um, met, like think about the fact that he's the same age as Dwayne because Dwayne's what in his like early twenties. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine? I mean, you're in your early twenties, Roberto. What if you were just a big lump of tumor in a in a basket? What kind of life? I mean, sometimes I feel like one. <laughs> To be quite honest. It's not a good life. I feel like I, we can't really blame him for his actions. Like, what else is he going to do? He didn't have Netflix also, yet. Literally. But I love that he is pure muscle, but mm. also seems to have, like, a shapeless form, very octopus-like, to be able to, like, go down, like, a toilet drain and then emerge. Yeah, I don't know how he did that. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's he's, another he's a iconic moment. Is just, you know, after... He attacks somebody or some shit, and the police are looking, and he's like, nowhere to be found. And they leave, and then, like, he's, uh, Dwayne's talking into the bathroom. And if you haven't seen it before, like, watching it again, you're like, oh, here it is. I'm gonna get the best shot of my entire fucking life. But when you saw it the first time, it's like he's talking into the bathroom, and you're like, okay, so Belial's in there. Whatever that is. And then they cut, and it's Belial. Not, like, like, not, like, even sitting on the toilet. Like, within the toilet. Like, he's risen up from it. Um, just, like, sitting there, and then Dwayne just kind of, like, sits down, slumps against, I'm gonna fucking, I have to retweet it on our pod Twitter again, um, because my pinned tweet on my personal Twitter profile is the photo of this, um, (laughs) of them just sitting there, and it's just kind of this, like, defeated thing of, like, what are we gonna do? Also, in that, so, right before Dwayne goes on his date with Sharon, he just, like, buys a TV and literally puts it on, like, a white noise channel. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Like, I would also literally have a fucking meltdown and flip out a room. Like, are you serious? You're not, like... Yeah, that's my point. What's he going to do? He doesn't even have proper entertainment. Murder is the only option. He is deprived of nutrients, of sunlight. He doesn't have TV. Someone get this creature a record player. Justice for Belial, (laughs) honestly. Fucking Belial in the hotel room. Girl, put your record down. (laughs) I would give my life... (laughs) Um, but you brought up Sharon, who is another iconic character that we should take a moment to talk about because from, we've talked about the wig, awful fucking wig. We've talked about the acting, but truly hers is, you know, something specific because the, her character is this receptionist that works for the second doctor they're planning to kill. There's three totals they want to take out. They've killed the first one in the opening and so, like, secretly going in to see him, because he doesn't, now that Dwayne's grown, he doesn't remember what Dwayne looks like, and he's using, like, a fake name. But she meets him for the first fucking time, like, signing him in to see the doctor. They have a conversation that is about... Instantly maybe, wet. You no, know, she's fucking sopping <laughs> wet, girl, in this fucking office chair. And she's, like, like, oh, down bad, if you've ever fucking seen it. Because immediately she's, like, trying to force conversation with him. He's like, oh, I'm in New York City, which... I'm going to hold off on this because it, it might get brought up in our Q and Slay. Um, but they have this interaction where, like, she's just, like, weirdly, like, immediately, like, so you're my man. So you're my boyfriend. And it's just, like, so hostile immediately. Then they go on, like, the one date. And then she's, like. Honestly, it's feminist because she's confident and knows what she, she is. Oh, listen, she's fucking girl bossing her way into his life, into his basket. Because then they come back from the date and, like, I think it's, like, Belial, you know, was, like, trashing the room and that's a whole fucking thing while he was on the date and everyone in the hotel is like, we heard something in your room. And he's like, you gotta get out of here, like, to try to save her. And she's like... Can we talk about how that hotel room, though, was, like, a full-on Gilmore Girls, like, (laughs) small-town community? Like, I want that TV show. Give me the residents of of Hotel Broslin. But, yeah, and then her character is so interesting and then, obviously... 
I'm sure you guys have thoughts about her character, but then we can also discuss, you know, her, the unfortunate downfall of her character as well. Well, his his reaction to her and his giddiness makes sense because based based on what we know, him and Bilal have been inseparable and have a telepathic connection and like they have like so some like ET we have, shit going on because it yeah. feels like there was one thing I can't remember what it was, but like either Dwayne is doing something and like it feels no, I think Belial's doing something and like Dwayne is like experiencing it. Oh, it's the it's, scene when she's dying because yeah. he's like waking up and he's yeah. like experiencing what he's doing at the same time yeah and so he's presumably just like a virgin and has never gotten to like be with have any sort of romantic Mm -hmm. connection with anyone so like from his from his end i'm like okay yeah like this woman being like let's go out like okay sure like i get Mm -hmm. it on his end with her it's just it is funny it is kind of it is one of those things where like she was obviously written this way to as a means to move the story forward. Yeah. Like, little, little was really, little thought was put into, like, her motivation, her background, anything like that. And honestly, I don't need it. I don't need it. I thought it was funny. I thought it was bizarre. Um, The scene where she, like, hunts him down and he literally wraps her in a blanket and throws her out. (laughs) I literally wrote down that I want a fan cam of Dwayne and Sharon such you love the way you lie. No, Um, Stop. Well, that seems nuts, too, because it's not, it, that, she hunts him down or whatever, but, like, it's not like she comes in the door and he's like, get out! Like, they're fully, like, having, or getting ready to have sex, and then, like, Belial starts freaking in the basket, and then, like, it is a scary moment where it's, like, I didn't watch it in the scare, but it's one of those things conceptually where it is scary, where, like, you're with this guy that she doesn't know that well, and they're about to, you know, get it on, whatever, have your fun queen, and then she's scared, and she's like, what is that? What is that? And he has her pinned down to the bed because he's, like, not really paying. He's not doing it purposely, it doesn't feel like, to trap her. He's just, like, you know, Belial's in his head. And she keeps screaming, like, Dwayne, let me up. Let me up. Yeah. And I remember I was thinking that moment. I was like, yeah, like, imagine if, like, you were with somebody, even if it wasn't a sexual context, and someone was just holding you somewhere, and you're like, okay, let me go. Let me go. Like, immediately right, that it was, it was animal her- thing would kick in begging to be let go and then I think he does and throws her out of the room and then she's begging on the door yeah. to be let back in. Oh that's the thing yeah because then yeah she he wraps her up <laughs> like a burrito and throws her head into the fucking wall and then yeah you're like Jesus Christ but then like immediately she's like Dwayne what's going on in there I'm like girl so we are be running my fucking head out of hotel Roslyn. Are we having our first fight? Literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Sharon is a very one dimensional character I mean I think the thing she has going for her most is that wig. Um, but like the only personality trait I get from her is like aggressive because she's just like from the moment they meet very judgmental about the priorities that he's had in his time in New York. And then, right. You know, I think that's her attempt at flirtation, but yeah, she really doesn't have any kind of like nuance or any kind of like self, in this film, she's purely just a vehicle to like give Dwayne an opportunity to kind of live that independent life of like a single 20 something year old man in the city of like, oh, hey, this is something that I would be able to do if I wasn't fucking tethered to this lump of nerves in my basket. And I think that's really the only point of her character. And I think the scene where she dies and is then assaulted by Belial. I think does the same thing where like now it's Belial 
also trying to like have those experiences, which is like so out of left field and gross and icky. But I think, especially because they are like mentally intertwined, it makes sense to me. So I'm not like offended by it because like, I think again, like we said, he doesn't have a chance. He's just like, he's also a 20 something year old person who's just kind of been like left in the dark for 20 years. It's visually jarring. I I, I also agree that like, storytelling wise I understand the progression I do think like we didn't need to see all of that yeah that being said before we we dive in there Sharon I guarantee 100% out of any of the actors in this movie she's the one that did the most character work despite having little to no like character buildup like you know she was in that fucking coffee shop like where was my character born (laughs) Okay, single father. I, I had to be like a mother to him, you know? And then, of course, he probably died um, from alcohol poisoning or something. And then I had to move to the big city where I've been so wrapped up with work. And, like, the only people that come into this doctor's office is, like, this annoying bitch. And now this a yummy guy is coming in and, like, you know, like, she It sounds did... like you did the yeah. motherfucking character work for Sharon, girl. I just, I get Sharon. Roberto lied awake after we finished Basket Case that <laughs> night, and he was like, where is Sharon coming from? Who is she? You know, the world got to see Casey 30 years later. I'm trying to give the world Sharon 15 years before. Wow. You're so brave and so strong for that. Um, but yes. To talk and that's about- because I care about women. <laughs> yeah. And that's on feminism. Um, but yes, to talk about the scene that is unsavory for most, I want to say as well. I completely know what you guys are saying, and I also agree in the sense of, like, I'm not, I, I wasn't shocked in the way where I was like, how did we get to that? Like, I can put together, like you're saying with Lyle's character, like, wanting those experiences, like, whether, whether he's a fucking tumor, mass of muscles, whatever, he's still alive and, you know, humanoid. So he and completely has a brain strong enough to, like, telecommunicate. So, you know, he has desires, I'm sure. I think my issue with it lies in the fact, one... Beyond anything else, we were talking about this the whole time. His anatomy, where's his dick? Yeah, I don't know. Like, literally, well, where I is think he, anything it, down? he would, like, shoved his claw in, and that's why she was bloody. I didn't really... Sorry. I, we, no, not, to, I, not to talk graphically. I mean, we don't know what he did. He just seemed like he was just, like, dry-humping her. With his, but like, it wasn't dry. That's whole thing. It's like this wet sloshing yeah. sound because he's, like, yeah. fucking her, presumably, like, through her blood. But... I think Ugh. kind of also what Roberto said was just, like, I think there might have been a version of this where, like, if he comes in and, like, once again, they play with Belial's shadow a lot. I'm not going to sit here and say that, like, I would be completely fine with it. I don't know. I might have still been, like, no, didn't need it. But it is just, like, that very jarring visual. And that's the jarring part of it where you're, like, where the fuck is this coming from? Of just, like, cut. He walks in and Belial is just, like, and it's dead silent except for this, like, like gushy blood sloshing sound of him like slowly like fucking her dead body on the bed and you're like what the fuck and like up to this point anything gruesome has been like in a fun b-horror way where you're like yeah get it like go off stop motion tumor like go crazy (laughs) and then this you're just like i almost like feel the fun drain and i'm like oh yeah it turns dark pretty quick i'm like and it's like and it is like the last like fucking three or four minutes of the film we were like damn y'all really had to go out on that sour ass no okay 
not to excuse it at all either. Like I do, I don't. Uh, but I I also think that like for the movie for most of the movie it has been fun, and I imagine that the the director also. It's unfortunate that it had to be. That, that, like, again, violence towards females like this, like, had to be the turning point, but turning the notch and making it... Because after that moment, there's not really, like, any comedic beats. Like, it goes... Like, they go back to yeah, the hotel, no. and, like, it's just them fighting. I mean, actually, that's not true, because oh, yeah. while <laughs> lifting Dwayne up via crotch... Oh, yeah. That was pretty good. Oh, my fucking God. I think that's kind of the so, breaking point between their relationship of, like, Dwayne has finally had enough. This is where he is putting his foot down you have killed and assaulted the only woman that I have ever had any kind of like connection with and I think you can't really go back to like the fun and that is also something kind of interesting just to like mm-hmm. note and talk about is the idea that like Dwayne has watched Belial like literally claw people's faces off and like do like rip them in half and do just like nasty vile things to them and I mean again like most of us like watching that scene of him like assaulting this dead woman like is a breaking point and i don't know it's interesting to like note those two like parallels as an audience member of us like watching that as well as like Dwayne experiencing that not to say it's okay yeah i I think Uh, i think it can be excused in Dwayne's eyes because like the people that they are killing he feels similarly justified in doing yeah yeah i think and it's one of those things where it's like i don't even think this would fix it but i think what makes it on top of already the way I feel about it, is what we were saying about Sharon's character. Like, beyond, you know, the crazy-ass, you know, choices she's making as an actress, the character, as Alex, you were saying, and I 1000% agree with, is written to just make Dwayne's story more tragic. Because Belial is this tragic monster in ways, and we know Mm -hmm. why. I mean, he was the lesser half, he's in a fucking basket. And he doesn't get to experience anything, whereas Dwayne does. But, you know, Dwayne suffers as well because, like, he was also separated from his brother and he didn't want to be. But then, like, oh, and then maybe this first chance at normalcy with this girl. And then she's, like, she literally, like, is not her own character in the way that Casey is. She is just, like, this, you know, and I'm in love with you. Like, she's this damsel in distress, like, his, like, throwaway, you know, girlfriend where if she was a fleshed out, like if this happened to Casey, I would have been just as mad. Well, I think it and almost happened different... to Casey and we don't get it because she gets away. And that's also something that is also like, we love this movie and I was giving a lot of credit to like this director, right? For like making intentional choices. But in this instance, right? Like we, we were applauding the fact that Casey got to be a full character versus Sharon, but Casey wasn't supposed to be a full character. That's what I was saying right? earlier. I was like, I'm giving the credit to yeah. this actress because yeah, it yeah. literally said that like she wasn't, and then he saw her perform and was like, Well, we have to have more of this. So she brought what she had to bring and right. like fought for this essentially in a way to have more. It really time. elevated the movie. Yeah. And I think but yeah, I think the fact that on top of like, okay, so we have a, a woman in this movie, one of two, pretty much. I mean there's other women in the movie, but like one of two like actual characters in the movie. Um who has no personality, like, is just there. And then, on top of that, sucking ass, okay, now we're <laughs> going to, like, violently, like, rape her corpse. It's just, like, yeah. uh, and as I said, if it happened to Casey, I would be just as mad. So I'm, I don't think that, like, doing that would fix it. It's just, like, right. another thing where you're, like, okay, so on top of that, we also have this, which, like, mm, sucks so much ass. But that being said, I, 
I don't love the scene. I can sit here, though, and say, like, I do understand. I think it could have been handled better. I, I, but I also am not expecting much from this 1982, you know, grimy-ass B-horror movie shot like <laughs> right. a porno in New York City. Um, and it doesn't ruin the whole film for me, obviously, as I've you know, been talking about this whole time. Um, I also think that you and I, like Anya as writers, but I, you don't even have to be a writer to think about it, but, like, thinking about how to convey certain intentions and certain motivations. And like there could have been other ways to handle Belial's like sexual frustration and, and, and loneliness other than this specific, the the very obvious, very jarring, very um, inappropriate and gross and triggering. Yeah. Um, Oh, um, I really loved every kissing scene because I could feel oh. the director directing it. You know what I mean? It was like, okay, now both of you can, no, open your mouths wider, <laughs> wider, turn your head. Okay. Again, like, like I could just feel the puppet strings. Oh, I think I and turned it's... to you on the couch and I was like, it kind of looks like they're not kissing. They're trying to see like how much air they can blow into the other one's open mouth with their open mouth. We're like, (gasps) like it was just like open mouth, like latched onto other open mouth. And once again, to me, another moment of genius because that just doesn't happen by accident. That was, that was crafted. That was, that was, (laughs) that was orchestrated in his brain of like, okay, Dwayne has never kissed a woman. This is how he would kiss a woman. Maybe honestly, This, this woman is fucking, thirsty and desperate and she's gonna she'll go, just with, go she's with whatever she's literally she's down for whatever the fuck um i think the last thing i'll bring up before we can transition into the human sleigh is obviously a good component of this movie is about the doctors i mean they're not main characters they're like side characters that are then you know killed off but you know there was definitely some moments that i noted doctor related um one being that our um lady doctor who is dr cutter one She's Queen. kind of an icon. She's a vet, first and foremost. Girl boss. Um, and when the second doctor before he is killed, who, mind you, the note I had about him, his fucking doctor's office is in a motherfucking boiler room. Like, yeah. that's how you know, once again, low budget as hell and also playing into that grimy ass fucking New York vibe where it's like, yeah, I'm gonna go see my doctor and probably, like, honestly catch something while I'm there on the, like, examination table. Like, this shit does not look clean or safe. But he calls her to be like, oh my god, guess who visited me? Like, he's come back. And she's, like, she's at dinner with this younger man in her apartment, like, candlelit. And it's just so iconic. And then, yeah, she just, like, answers the well, phone. Well, it's another porn scene. It's, like, oh, it's as soon as she hangs scene. up the phone, like, her titties are out. And she's pegging him. <laughs> But, yeah, and then, like, you know, she's, like, on the phone, like, um, I'm busy. I don't have time for this. And the last one I made about her, and you had brought up her her death scene, Roberto, um, which we'll, we can hold off on talking in full because, obviously, that will probably get brought up in some capacity to human slay. But I literally wrote, um, she put her whole fucking pussy into that death scene. Like, yeah. for all the acting, like, you know, we talked about where it is just, like, you know, choices, these choices are entertaining. Like, yeah. they they might not be giving Oscar-worthy performances. They're not giving me Susan Tyrell and Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. No one can. But they are giving me entertainment, and at the end of the day, that's what I came here for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any thoughts? This is just, like, such a great... And I know I was saying earlier, like, <laughs> I loved the gritty grossness of, 
of how New York was portrayed in it, but I also, like, registered that it was New York in the 1980s, and there were a lot of really unfortunate things happening in the LGBTQ community, so I just wanted to, like... Oh, yeah, New York was... uh, I mean, New York... It's like when people are like, I wish I was born in the 50s, and people are like, there's racism now, girl. Like, you're not missing anything. That's not what I meant. I just wanted to convey that... I'm a fan of like sleaze in, in film mm-hmm. and I felt the sleaze and I enjoyed yeah. it. And, you know, it, there was a, a, a fairy tale element to like the grime of it that I'm, yeah, it's, that I find entertaining. In it's the a very specific yeah. aesthetic that I don't think you can really have nowadays, right. especially. That's all I wanted yeah, yeah. to convey, just so no one. Well, I think <laughs> what you're saying thinks I've though, never and- opened a book. And it goes off what I said before, where it's like, even when they try to recreate shit like this now and something like Joker, the difference is when they were doing it back in the 80s, they weren't like creating something. That was what New York City was. Yeah. Like they were literally just shooting in New York City and showing it as it was. Whereas like now when they do that, not that, you know, New York City is, you know, beautiful and pristine by any means, but to like get that, they almost have to like create it somehow. And it's just not this, it's not authentic. It's not yeah. the same. I agree. But after all that, to move on to the best part of the episode, which is always the Q and Slay. <laughs> so what you might not know, Roberto, so this is Roberto's first Q and Slay, the only second time we've ever had a guest for yeah. the Q and Slay because we don't do them on mini-sodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Roberto, I'm sure you know how it works, but we have three questions that we pitch every time, and once we get through everyone's answers for those, we will each present the party with an original question that none of us know beforehand that we will answer, and it's always a good time. Alex, mm-hmm. would you like to start? Yes. Um, let's see. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of answers for this, so let's start off with what your favorite line of the film is. Roberto, as our guest, do you want to begin? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it was during the doctor veterinarian lady's candlelit dinner when she says, um, I think the, her, her young lover man says like, I'm drunk or something. And she's like, it's okay. I like you drunk. You're cute when you slobber. Oh yeah. (laughs) I thought that was fierce. I thought that was hot. I thought that was, again, just a, a perfect porn piece of dialogue mm-hmm. and delivery. Yeah. And I do think in a way it works into like, because obviously we're supposed to, I think also dislike these doctors because they did this awful thing that like, she is this like, you know, like in her mind, like she did the right thing, like, you know, for this kid, but like, she is this like bad person because here she is like trying to get this younger man, like drunk. So maybe she can take advantage of him. Like, I feel like to a degree, that's like how it's playing. Well, also as a vet, there was something about the way she said slobber that, again, just made me think of, like, those, like, dogs who were always drooling. Oh, Lord. So I was like... (laughs) Nasty. Um, my line, which almost got brought up earlier, um, is the line of Sharon's in the doctor's office when she is meeting Dwayne for the first time, and he says that he's new to New York City, um... And she asked him, um, oh, like, you know, oh, and he's never been before. She's like, have you gone to the Empire State Building yet? Or the Statue of Liberty? And he goes like, no, like, I haven't had time. And this bitch does a fucking personality switch out of fucking nowhere. It is frightening. And she goes, Because she loves New York. She's like, haven't had time? Well, what about Radio City Music Hall or the UN? Had time for them? 
And you're like, oh my god. Yeah, she's she's crazy. Like bullying him. And then he's finally like, well, I haven't had time because I don't know where anything is. And then she's like, oh, well, I could take you. And you're like, one of you needs to run for the hills, or both of you, because you guys are fucking nuts. But once again, that's a moment she did the work, you know? That's probably where her drunk dad took her before he died. And it's funny that you think that she has a fucking, like, well, no, I guess that would play it. So she has daddy issues, which is why she's so desperate for this male figure in her exactly, life. Exactly, exactly. You did do the work. Um, Alex, what about you? Um, mine is weird. Um, it's very early on in the film. It's probably the first, like, two to three minutes. Um, it's when he's checking into the motel, and there's a man named O'Donovan, who is a drunk, sitting just, like, in that lobby, just, like, watching. And it's just the line deliveries that this man presents to start off the film that I was like, <laughs> oh my God, give this man every award. He's like slurring his wor- words and Dwayne is checking in just himself and he goes, all alone in this cold, cruel world. And then he asks what's in the basket and goes, he's smuggling in a case of booze. He's going to throw us a party. And it's so <laughs> fucking funny to me. I love that character, even though he's a piece of shit because of those two line deliveries. Delicious. Um, and also I think since we've all given our lines, we should just mention the bar scene and the monologue that is given by Dwayne. I mm-hmm. think it's too long of a monologue to really discuss in depth, but it's some of the best acting that I've seen. And, uh, I love it so much. It's like the most iconic scene where they're Casey and Dwayne are drunk as fuck. And she says, there's something I've been dying to ask you. What's in the basket? And he just goes, my brother, and starts like laughing hysterically. And he says, he's deformed, a freak. He looks like a squashed <laughs> octopus. And I'm just like, oh, the way he's reading Belial right now. And Belial, then he, and they're like, bitch, what the fuck? Yeah, and then he just like, me? he tells the entire backstory of it. But the way that he's doing it is just like, well, this is what happened. And here we go. And it's so funny. It, the acting. They don't. They don't do flashbacks like they used no. to. No. I'm telling you, like, Sleepaway Camp and Basket Case, we're doing yeah. flashbacks the way God intended. <laughs> um, okay, so to move on to our next question, um, what was everybody's favorite kill in the movie? Uh, I, I'll start. Um, I think it's probably all of our favorite kills, um, which is not Dr. Needleman, a.k.a. the veterinarian. Um, it's my favorite kill because for me, wait, wait, what are you talking about? The veterinarian, the veterinarian is Dr. Cutter. That's the woman. Oh, I thought her name was, I, I wrote the wrong name. Thank you. Dr. Cutter. Um, I feel like for me, Belial kills in the same way every time where he just kind of like jumps on their face and they don't really fight him off and they yell and he yells and then suddenly they're dead. Um, but with hers, mm. you know, you get the extra element of like him sticking her face in the drawer full of scalpels which I think is really funny, especially since her name is Dr. Cutter. Um, but I also, I think what makes Nothing it, is an accident. No, and I love the the scene of her getting killed, being cut with the two twin receptionists, being like, what's going on in there? That sounds like a lot of mayhem. Just like so confused, but not doing anything. I love them. They have the smallest part, but the biggest impact for me. Yeah. That's also my favorite kill, but I would like to give honorary mention to the, at the end, after both Belial and Dwayne have fallen to their deaths, mm-hmm. um, the, the like, manager of the hotel comes out and just looks at them, and it's just, like, SMH. Like, not, not confused, 
not wondering what happened. Just very much like, darn, <laughs> like poor kid. Yeah, I mean, it's a very yeah. like who's gonna clean this up the beast moment of just like we all knew yeah. it was gonna happen. <laughs> like this could have all been prevented if if, if we I weren't was New York City it. in the eighties. Um, my favorite <laughs> tale is actually Doctor Needleman who is the second doctor after the first doctor in the opening to get killed. Um, the things I really like about the death is it's really the first time we're like fully seeing Belial because in the opening, we just see that the Belial hands this time we're seeing the full body for the first time launch itself, as you said, mm-hmm. and just like latch onto his face pretty much and go to town. Um, so it's just like, that's so fun. He rips him in half, which is obviously iconic because they ripped the two of the brothers in half by pulling them apart. So he's repaying the favor. Um, you know, it's gory. It's great. And then the best part for me is then Belial. You see, you're like, okay, that we saw Belial. The scene's going to be over. They show you him one last time and he's at the window because he's sneaking out. And it's just like his whole body, like, like shuffling out the open window. And... Once again, it's just like every moment of this movie, you know, sans for the one that we talked about in depth a minute ago, like just brings me such joy. I'm like, yeah, this is like what it's what movies are meant for is to watch and just be teleported somewhere else. And if that's fucking greasy ass, dirty ass 80s New York City with this fucking, you know, killing tumor, then yeah, that's all I need. But don't you kind of wish we, we would have gotten a bathtub scene? Like Belial in the bathtub. Oh my god. Oh, he's pampering himself. It's a whole different girl. <laughs> if he had that record player, we would have had a whole different movie. <laughs> would you kiss him on the head? Would I kiss Belial? A la Baby Yoda. First of all, I'm going to say one thing first before I answer this. Baby Yoda is not in the same fucking league as Belial. So don't fucking compare them like they're like equally cute. Because they're not. I would take a bullet for Baby Yoda. I wouldn't take a bullet for Belial. That being said, if I came home and Belial was in the sudsy tub, pampering himself, listening to fucking whatever the fuck, Sarah McLaughlin, as I'm sure Roberta would love, um, I would say like, hey, Kay, and then I would lean down and give him a tiny little smooch on the head, never on the mouth, don't get it twisted. Um, Yeah, so I would. I think that's all he needed well, in life. He, like, doesn't even have lips. Like, his mouth is perpetually open. Okay, so is Dwayne's when he kisses things. fucking Sharon. So what's the difference? <laughs> they are twins. <sighs> that was probably why the director like, said that. How would Belial kiss? You know? How would Belial kiss? Do that. <laughs> Meanwhile, the producer's eight-year-old daughter's just, like, sitting over there as Belial. Hey, guys. <laughs> <sighs> all right. Alex, do you want to... Bring us our last question before the group questions. Well, it's your turn. My turn. Didn't I just ask what everyone's favorite line was? Or no, favorite kill. Your favorite kill. We are a mess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, if you had a partner in crime from this cast of misfits, who would it be? And as you know, Roberto, the partner in crime can be anything. It can be someone that you would want to be a parental figure to you, a best friend, a lover. Partner in crime is up for your interpretation of what that would mean for you. Um, well, I think I would have to go with the the twins twins. nurses. Wow. I didn't see it coming and I love that. I just feel like the shenanigans we could get into, the crimes we could commit, 
you know, the, the stories we would have. Also, just me walking down the street flanked by two identical nurse twins. Yeah. Redheads. I'm sorry. <laughs> Show stopping. Never been done before. Never been done again. <laughs> wow. I couldn't have predicted that's what you are going to say. Um, Alex, we might have the same one. Um, I said Casey. Yes. Um, just because of what we talked about is just like, she's just such a good friend. Like, she is so caring for Dwayne as she would be for me in my scenario. She would be my bestie looking out for me. I don't drink, but we'd be going out to the bars and having a grand old time. If she can accept Belial, I know she would accept all the weird little, you know, things about me that are strange with no judgment and just open arms. Alex, sometimes I think that you're my Casey. Um... Yeah. Oh, my God. oh my God! So Casey, hundred percent. I'm not looking for friendship. I'm looking for. I an mean, I, I should have known. I should have put that together before you yeah. answered. <laughs> um, I originally also said Casey, but I figured that one or both of you would also say her. Um, so I have a backup option. So you took Casey. She's no longer available. I mean, she is if you want her. My, per- no, no, I'll pick someone else because there's another woman. Oh, I know I, already who it is. Such a brief <laughs> moment in the spotlight, but she made such an impact. Uh, I only know her name because there's a uh, on IMDb. It's part of the quotes. Her name is Josephine. She is this old woman who lives at the motel. And when Dwayne checks in, yeah. she decides to go up the stairs with him and tell him all the gossip about the room that he's booked for the next few days and it's so fucking weird because she just talks and talks and talks and then when she's done talking she just turns around and goes right back down the stairs as if it doesn't say goodbye nothing she wasn't talking to another person babe that but she delivered her last line what do you want her to do i love her i would if i was staying at that motel we would be best friends i would get all the gossip about every single person we would go up and down those stairs be working out our legs it would be great i love her I mean, I know I just said that you were my Casey, but in ways you've also been my Josephine. (laughs) When I started at the the theater and you just like took me under your wing and immediately were like, this is what you need to know. And this person, this person, this person. And I was like, I feel loved. I feel taken care of. So yeah, you encompass all the best things about all the women in Basket Case. Thank you so much. And you're a lot of (laughs) Thank you so much. I knew it was coming. Um, All right. Now that we've gotten through our, you know, pre-prepared questions, let us venture now into everybody's individual original question. Um, Would anybody like to present their question first to the group? Any takers? Any takers? I'll go. I don't care. Mine is a very basic, simple kind of yes or no. Um, Let's imagine you meet someone. You are smitten with him. And you're like, wow, I think I might fall in love with this man. But then you find out that he has a deformed twin that he has to take care of, carry around everywhere, and who is just a huge handful. Would that be a deal breaker for you? Is he rich? Sure. <laughs> you read my mind, Imagine. Um, I'm so desperate for love that the answer is yes. I don't care. <laughs> you would still date him? Yeah. Cool. Girl, you always post these questions. You're like, real real easy. And it truly makes me reevaluate my entire life. Um, Okay. So we're saying, really, like, love of my. Babe, Pedro walks in. Come on. Stop playing. 
But his baby Yoda is Belial. It's Belial. But okay, here's the difference. So you're saying he has to take him everywhere. He's in the basket, right? Most of the time. Sure. He's Um, in something. But but stopping me is the handful bit. Is like having to take care of him. Okay, but like be so he would be like in the room with us when we're having sex, presumably. Yeah, I mean maybe he's not murderous, but like. But does he have to be in the room with us when we're having sex? I mean, he's incredibly dependent. He's like a baby. People don't keep so, babies in the room when they like have sex. Put him in the closet. You can put him in the closet. In the closet, can I put him in a fucking go, room? Yeah, but then he's just gonna go. Ooh, How am I gonna hear him if I'm moaning during sex? <laughs> I'm looking to have a good time, bitch. Okay, but then Anya's putting those records <laughs> on. But then you have to think about when that phase of the relationship is done, and you're just like in a committed when situation. That when we're not fucking anymore. Together. No, then the answer is no. no. But like. <laughs> if it gets to the point where we can't fuck anymore, no. No, you're still fucking, but you're like, you know, settled down and you are starting a life together, but you have this fucking thorn in your side all the time. Is that okay? Is that worth it? I mean, I don't want children, so we're a pet, really. I want a cat. If you're telling me that in this scenario, we can never have alone time, like it's one thing if we're living in a house, right, and fucking Belial is with us. Maybe we give him his own room. We treat him right. You know, he has breakfast, dinner with us. We, we hang out together. He third wheels. But if we can never have alone time, no. I can't do it. But if I met this person, um, like, you posed the question, I would have already been invested. So, like, I, you know, we would have been dating fine without me knowing the thing But what exists. if, are you presenting that, like, upon meeting him, he's letting us know that he has his twin? Or, like, how deep in? Maybe, like, maybe once you've fallen in love a few months into he's like, I have to tell you something. I'm so sorry. Great. So if, if we have operated like I didn't know your twin existed for months, then I think we can operate like your twin doesn't exist sometimes. I mean, yeah, that's true, that's because presumably he would have been bringing the twin around with him on the dates. True. Very true. I still say no. I think that would have been a deal breaker from the job. If this motherfucker's bringing some crazy <laughs> ass shit on the date and won't tell me what it is, <laughs> it could be a gun. I'm not, I'm leaving. Would you? No, 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 no. I'm all Roberto's sorry. true colors. <laughs> <laughs> sorry that you are literally just a more accepting person than either of us. Um, okay, Roberto, what's your original question? Um, what is one other B movie that you believe deserves no, to be? Fucking MoMA. Hold on, give a bitch a second here, because I'm gonna have to think. On okay, this I know my answer. Do you have your answer? Oh yeah, I mean. It's probably going to be, you know, not super surprising, but it's Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. It's yeah. the greatest B-horror I've ever seen. And if I will say anything other than that, because we talk about it all the time, I would say um, Brain Dead, a.k.a. Dead Alive by Why the fuck are you going to take my goddamn answer? Because it's incredible. Well, then why did you it's say it as your first answer? This bitch just thrown out 20 answers. Because I didn't think about it until after I said Butcher Baker. Um, but... You, that can also I be love that thing. I'm tearing you guys Let apart. Me tear with each other apart tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Um, I would say another B movie that I think belongs in the MoMA. I will go with one that we've already covered. I will say Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Really? That was yeah. my third pick. Look at us. So insane. I got your fucking scraps on Great that choices. one. What about you, Roberto? What would you say? <laughs> Great choices all around. Well, obviously, Troll 2. Yeah, 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 yeah. The popcorn scene alone. The Troll 2 is a masterpiece. It's a work of art. And if anyone, people people know Troll 2, but if y'all haven't seen the documentary about it, highly recommend. Troll 2 highly is so recommend. much fun. I love the scene at dinner where they're all freeze-framed, but they're all still like slightly moving. 
Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, we'll obviously have Roberto mm-hmm. back when we inevitably cover Troll 2. We have um, to do Troll 2 at some point. All right. So to finish it off, my question, a little more in depth, it'll take maybe a minute to think about. So in the end of the movie, um, Hotel Braslin, right? That's the name of the hotel. The um, something I read about the sign is actually that was an original um, like set prop that they made. So, because Roberto and I kept making note of how they kept cutting and showing Hotel Braslin every fucking, like, ten minutes to remind you that it was Hotel Braslin. It was like, what was the point? And we posed the idea, or Roberto did, that, well, maybe it's, like, to get the, to allow, to be allowed to film there, they had to keep showing the sign. But they created the sign. Like, there is no Hotel Braslin. So, it was truly just a choice. But if you were either, let's say, either making a horror movie or you were starring in one, and your movie had a final, like, set prop that, like, was, you know, set that the, the death, the final battle slash death scene centered around. What would that prop be and, like, how would it play out? I can rephrase if it's a confusing question. A candelabra. That has been going for years. So like the wax. So the flame has been going for years? Like, no, they've just been putting like new candle wicks. So there's just overflowing wax dripping down the sides, you know, in fun shapes. And then the last frame, whatever it is, is, you know, the wind blowing out the flame because the story is How does that have to do with your death or a character's death? Um... That was the question matter. I posed, bitch. It's my movie. It was my question. Uh, you you uh, you asked about the prop and how it would be last seen. You see, you did a that classic and you listened to half of what I said. Anyways, um, <laughs> moving on, Alex. Can, can you rephrase yes. the question so, for me? So let's say, I'll say it like this. You're in a horror movie. This is a horror movie. It okay. doesn't matter what kind of horror movie it is. In the last scene or the last moments of the movie, there is a final fight against, let's say, a killer or some shit. And it takes place somewhere. It can be wherever you want. But it culminates around with involving some prop. Some prop that you can imagine, whatever it would be. What would that prop be? Got it. And how would it play into the death or the fight or whatever? It would... It would be a chocolate and fountain. And it was fucking chocolate. I could tell you every fucking time it's going to be chocolate. And I would be drowned in it. And then when they pulled my head out of it, I'd be like this, smiling, covered in chocolate, but dead. Okay, fine. Uh, I'm holding the candelabra. It's on fire. No, the, you know, the flame is lit. Yeah. I look back at the house where my final battle has just taken place and I've overcome the villain. Yeah. I tilt my the candle forward. I set the house on fire. God, did you and then you douse ju- it in kerosene? Sure. And then I turn around and you just and, and it's very slow throughout the credits. The credits are rolling during the shot. It's just me hobbling into the woods. With the candelabra? With the candle. <gasps> I love yeah. that. Yeah. That's nice. Um Anya. Mine was going to be similar vibes in ways to a favorite of mine, which is the guest. Um where it would be, you know, me fighting some, like, killer, possibly someone that's, like, hunky, who the fuck knows. Um, the prop would... <laughs> we love a romantic lead. <laughs> the 
final prop would be like, I don't know how to describe it. Like I feel like you would see it in like a, maybe a seventies or eighties, like dance club, like those dance floors where they were different squares and they would light up different colors. That would be the big prop. So we would be on that. It would be like slightly elevated more than the regular floor. So it would be this final like fight, not really dance, but whatever. There's like music playing. I'm imagining, um, evacuate the dance floor is playing as we're like fighting to the death. Um, and I die, obviously, because I'm not fucking surviving any of this. And so then it's just my body splayed out on this lit up dance floor, back to where the dance floor is playing, as I'm bleeding out over it. And that's my my set piece. Me and Alex walk in, we see your body, we're like, oh, we'll handle it in the morning and just keep dancing. I look, I look across the room, there's a chocolate fountain, I go right Killer towards it, knowing too. that... Roberto walks in with the... It's all the same And Roberta movie. sets it's the whole thing movie. on fire. Because Roberto has the candelabra, they find my body, you get diced at the goddamn chocolate fountain and then roberto beats him walks out sets the house on fire i love that someone I should be writing it. this down write this down it's <sighs> a good film wow um who wants to start with their rating well i think you guys might be offended by that how low my rating is considering how high we talked about it i'm gonna give it a three star a dumb jock because I would love a little bit more story, but or a little bit more puppet, mm-hmm. um, because there are a few moments where I'm like, okay, let's get back to the the batshit crazy. I am a li- like slightly bordering on like losing my interest, but then they always get me back. But I do think that more Belial would always be better. So three okay. stars. I found that upon second viewing, I think that so much of the fun of it is like experiencing it for the first time and be like, what the fuck am I watching? You know, and and upon second viewing, once the shock of Belial wears off, I, I also found myself being a little like, do 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 do. Um, but I would still give it like, I'd give it a nice three and a half. I don't know if that's an option. Beautiful. So you yeah. would give it a um, a dumb jock who's also a boy next door. So he, yeah, yeah, like a Justin Long. You think Justin Long is a dumb jock? No, I guess he's more boy next door. <laughs> he's like Justin Long, but you know, Justin Long is kind of ripped. Yeah, but he's not a dumb jock. That's, it's not about your body. It's about, you know, the persona you're bringing. What you're giving. Um, Yeah, I kind of similar to both of you. I obviously really, really like this movie. Um, But I think, yeah, once again, like watching it a second time, not to say I didn't enjoy it, because clearly from the conversation I did. But yeah, kind of what Roberto said, like, Things that, like, truly knocked you on your ass. Even things, like, I forgot from the first time. Like, the stop motion again. I forgot that was going to happen. It's still, yeah. There is, it, it leaves a little something to be desired. Um, so, I'd probably give it the same as Roberto. A dumb jock who's also a boy next door. A three and a half. Um, I don't like really to do between ratings. But, would you say? I'm really curious about what the second and third movie have to offer. Me I too. Mean, yeah, so... Especially because they basically die at the end, and now suddenly they're like, just kidding. I swear to fucking God, I don't know, and I'm not going to look it up before I see movies. If it's some crazy, like, Bride of Chucky shit where, like, he, like, impregnated her, like, corpse, and she, I don't know, bro, these movies do fucking nuts ass shit. Mm -mm. Um, Anyways, try not to think about that. Bilal's had a side piece this entire time. Stop. 
stop stop <laughs> um it's lady it's like mr and mrs potato head it's like mr and mrs delisle oh she has just like eyelashes i would die <laughs> um i would fucking die um anyways that has been basket case um it was such a fun time to talk about um once again it is streaming on shutter canopy tubi arrow wherever you want to find it Roberto, it was such a pleasure to have you on as a guest again and to have you on for your first full regular episode. I mean, honestly, the Saw episode we did was longer than this, but, you know, it wasn't a a normal regular episode. I hope I delivered. I hope that we get to talk about another Saw movie. (laughs) We will eventually. (laughs) I'm very excited for Troll 2 whenever that happens. As always, I'm a fan. I love you gals. Keep on screaming. Wow. Wow. We love you. Thank you for being yes. here. Um, so y'all, we will be back um next month with a movie that in ways might tie to this one. <laughs> that will be the only hint you get Maybe. before then. Um, and we're excited about that one as well. Um, so yeah, as always, there might be a mini sit or two in between. Who the fuck knows? We don't plan anything like that. Um, but as always, keep it creepy. Bye. Okay, bye! Hi, creeps, and thank you for listening to another episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. We would not be able to make this podcast, though, completely on our own, and we have some folks that we would love to thank. Um, First and foremost, if you've noticed, we have amazing new artwork, and we have to thank our friend Raymond Lowell, who commissioned it for us. Uh, You can follow him on Instagram and see all his other amazing art at rblowell. Uh, who else, Alex? Uh, we would love to thank, yet again, for another season, our lovely friend Nathan Graham, who made our beautiful introduction music, um, and he sings the Girls Who Cried Be Horror. Um, you can follow him at instant underscore grammed, like his name, um, and you can also check out his podcast with our other friend Jonah, uh, called The Commonwealth. Yes, all good spooky content. And of course, if you can't get enough of us, we're on social media too. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror, on Twitter at Girls Who Cried Be H. And if you really want to write us a whole novella, baby, you can send us an email at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror at gmail.com. We always want to hear your thoughts and opinions and your insight. Uh, And if you want to follow us individually on social media, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, I am at G-Way Forever. That is G-E-E-W-A-Y, number four, and then ever on Instagram. At agarity15 on Twitter. And uh, on Garrity on Letterboxd if you really want my, uh, my film insight. Alex? Yeah, and if you want to check out the uh, three tweets and Instagram posts I do a year, you can check me out uh, at <laughs> Alex Brandley. Because I'm very basic on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd. It's all the same. I'm just Alex Brandley. She makes it easy for you, folks. Yeah. She makes it easy for you. Um, but that's all we have for now. So we'll see you creeps next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. The girls who cried be horror.